0: What's up, y'all, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita. Here's the deal, folks. Last week, I recorded a very fun conversation. It was just a few days ago, late in the week. It was Thursday afternoon, February 20th. Andrew Stem joined me, and we talked plenty of college basketball and Major League Baseball. It ended up running a little long, so I said, what the heck? Let's split it up into two podcasts. What you are about to listen to today is the second part of our discussion. Part two, the final part of our discussion. And so there there will be some references to stuff that we talked about in our college basketball conversation. Because it was all one conversation, but I've broken it down for you, the listener. Just to make it a little more organized. And I thought it would be kind of fun to split it up. I also apologize. There were some internet problems both in part one and in part two. It does get a little choppy at a couple of points. So there are some words that are cutting in and out, and some words that just don't come in as crystal clear as they normally do. Uh, I don't think it's a glaring issue, but you may notice that once or twice. So that's what you're noticing. We aren't idiots. We know how to talk. (laughs) So plenty of stuff to get into in this episode. I will bring it over to the conversation. I will lead you into it in a second. But here's what you can expect. We have a great conversation about Major League Baseball, how they're handling this issue with the Houston Astros stealing signs. What could they do better Have they done it right? We'll get into that. We'll also talk about the Hall of Fame vote from last month. Who's sitting on that Hall of Fame ballot that should get a little more attention in the next couple of years? Hopefully, just next year. Hopefully, they don't have to stay on the ballot for too long. We talk about that. We talk about the one rogue voter that did not vote for Derek Jeter to be in the Hall of Fame. We discuss that. We also talk about this spring training headline that Chris Bryant is going to be the Cubs leadoff hitter this season. So there's plenty to get to spring training games have been played now for a few days at this moment. Let me bring you in to my conversation with reporter Andrew Stem from the Omaha world Herald. Well said, Andrew, a very fun conversation about college basketball. Let's have a conversation about MLB, and let's hope it's fun. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, I I have some thoughts. (laughs)
0: All right, where do you want to go first then?
1: Um, let's talk about the
0: Astros. Yeah, we'll get them out of the way.
1: I mean, I saw I can't remember whether it was Bovada or somebody set the uh, over under of number of times that they get Astros batters get hit this year at eighty three and a half. (laughs) Um. And I I typically don't – I'm not a big fan of the unwritten rules of baseball. Um, and I obviously don't want anybody to get injured. I don't want guys throwing at, at heads or anything. Um, but I think pitchers would certainly be well within their rights if uh, they spent all of the 2020 season throwing inside to Houston
0: batters. <laughs> and I won't lie. I love that. I – I really enjoy as long as it's you're hitting the guy in the back, you're hitting him in the rear end. I think that's all fine. It's a, it's a problem when it's up at the head. It's a problem when you're throwing at a guy's knee or at his foot. But I think that's one of the things that I love about the game is that it has policed itself nicely. I think they've worked it out and they've been able to resolve stuff pretty well over the years. Obviously there are some glaring exceptions to that, but that is definitely going to be uh, one interesting storyline with this team this year.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Max Scherzer, I guess, is slated to start for the Nationals. They open pre- they open the spring training uh, with the Astros, and that will be very, very interesting. Because, uh, you know, I can tell you from his time in Detroit, Max has never been one to shy away from anything like that so uh, I don't know if it'll happen in spring training games but it will be it will be something to keep an eye on and uh, I don't know what are your thoughts uh, I felt that Rob Manfred's response to all of this the, the press conference last week but even before then you know just the five million dollar fine and the docking of the first couple of draft picks and suspensions of the AJ Hinch and the general manager for a year uh, I don't think it went nearly far enough. I don't know if you follow uh, international soccer at all, but Manchester City was recently been found to have violated financial fair play rules, and you need someone who's a much stronger expert on soccer than I am to explain <laughs> what that really is, but basically they lied about how much money they were bringing in in an effort to you know, try and keep the, the things fair, I, sort of, I guess, the equivalent of a luxury tax in baseball or basketball uh, to I think in a very rudimentary way of explaining it. But they got banned from the Champions League for two years. Uh, They've appealed that, but they basically said, you can't compete at the highest level. And to contrast that with the Astros just being fined $5 million and not getting their first two-round draft picks for next year, it seems pretty tame by comparison.
0: Yeah, so, all right, first I want to comment on your uh, Scherzer thing with spring training. My prediction is I don't think they're going to be thrown at in spring training unless it's some guy who's trying to make a roster and make a name for himself i just i think a lot of times that those pitchers go out and they just want to get they want a two inning simulation of a game in terms of be, getting reacclimated to throwing in the strike zone with a batter there and sometimes they'll just, sometimes a pitcher will be like, I'm just going to throw fastballs today. And some days they'll it'll be, okay, I'm going to spend this whole inning where I'm going to use my change up on 80% of my pitches. A lot of it is just practicing their command and working the rust off. So I don't think we're going to see anyone throwing at the Astros in spring training unless it's a guy that wants to make a name for himself, wants to land on a roster. That's a pretty good point. Yeah, but I—I I mean, I love the—I love the idea of like, ooh, this is this is intriguing. Spring training, we could get something crazy. I hope. I mean, rooting for a story, I would love to see that.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, like I, I like I said, I th- I really think the bigger story is the the failure of Rob Manfred to uh, adequately address this, and then the follow up by both the Astros press conference and. Manfred's press conference later. It's just been, uh, I can't think of any way to label it other than a failure from the very beginning.
0: Okay. So my opinion is I'm not crazy about the idea of we have to take the title away, but I think the Astros as an organization should be ashamed and want to take down those banners, want to give it back. I, I think a lot of the times when we strip someone of a Heisman trophy or whatever, we can't really change history And there's no way that we can say, okay, well, since they didn't win, then the Dodgers won because the Yankees were hurt by it, too. So it's a really murky area. Now, what I would say, though, is I would absolutely have come down much harder on them, similar to what the Manchester, was it Man City? You said Man City? Yeah, what Man City did in terms of, okay, we cannot change the past. Now, maybe there are a few things we can do to taint their title, and maybe maybe Houston as a whole, as an organization, should be embarrassed enough that they say, we, we're going to take this banner down. It's like we've seen uh, Michigan take down their Final Four banners. I think yep. they did that themselves, right? They did, yep. Yeah, so that's what I would rather see happen. But what I do think you should be looking at, I think the MLB should be putting a harder punishment on them moving into the future in the sense of, I would not, uh, this hasn't been talked about a whole lot, but I would not mind an idea of, okay, you can play your 162 games this year. You can make revenue, you can make money, but you can't play in the playoffs. We're going to put the next best team in the AL West in the playoffs. I would actually be on board with that.
1: Yeah, the idea like in college athletics of being on probation like yeah you you can play games but that's as far as it's going to go and you know to be honest I don't know how rampant this is but I mean I feel like teams make five million dollars sometimes in a homestand um you know and other than that just losing their first two draft picks like does and having your manager and general manager suspended for a year does that seem like it's going to cause, say another organization is doing it. Do you, do you think that that's going to be enough of a deterrent for organizations to say, we better stop this? Because I don't think it is like, yeah, you know, exactly. Te- teams want to win. And if it's $5 million, that's presumably chump change for most of the ownership in major league baseball. And if you can get yourself a decided advantage, try doing it. And you know, you'll worry about the consequences later.
0: Exactly. I I totally agree. I think that there need to be more done. I mean, what what if they said you can't you don't have a draft entirely this year and you can't play for you can't play postseason baseball the next two years? Yep.
1: How about that? That would have been great with that. I think you have to say you have to send the message. We're not going to stand for this. And not only do you send it to them, but you send it to the other 29 clubs in the league that, look, if you've got something like this going on, you better shut it down right now because we are not going to stand for it, and these are the risks that you run. And, you know, you talk about a two-year, you know, if it had been a two-year postseason ban, well, I mean, for a lot of those teams, the window to really win a world title is open for probably four or five years if you're really good and really fortunate and you draft well and you sign well. So if you all of a sudden turn around and say, you know, for two of those years you can't play, you know, that's a pretty big... Whereas, you know, $5 million, what is that? So I I, I don't think there was enough of a deterrent. I mean, I know that people will be watching the Astros extra closely so that I assume there won't be any funny business going on, but they weren't the only team. I don't think there was been, you know, the rumors about other teams. And was this enough to stop them? And I'm not sure that it was.
0: I will say that I do feel for Astros fans, I don't want to pile on to Astros fans because if my team had just won its first title in franchise history, heck, if I found out that the Cubs did this same system in order to finally shatter the Billy Goat curse, I would be livid. I would be just as mad as the fans of other teams that got cheated out of it it would feel like a huge yeah. scam yeah.
1: no i totally get it and like, like uh i'm trying to think if i know anybody specifically who roots for the astros and i can't think of it and i i, I, do. I, I actually actually a co-worker of mine does yeah
0: and um chad Vothereen who's been on this podcast a few sure. times sure
1: so it's it's like yeah i feel bad for them because it's like you said they feel like they were cheated too right i mean you, you get the sense that you wanted to think that you know, your, your team's title is on the up and up, and now you're starting to find out that maybe it isn't, and you're not not quite sure how to feel about that. So, yeah, I, I, I feel badly for the fans. I don't feel badly for the players. I don't feel badly for the organization. It sounds like it ran pretty deeply, but, you know, you, you feel badly for the fans, because they didn't have anything to do with that. And Ultimately, if what we were advocating for had been handed down, if they'd been, you know, banned from the postseason for two years, it's the fans who really get hurt, right? Because they're they would be the ones who, they didn't have any part of this and then it would be like well your team that you love can't play in the postseason for two years and through no fault of your own and that would be pretty awful so
0: yeah my last real opinion that I want to talk about with the Astros and then if you want to throw anything else out there you can I'm curious as we keep finding out more and more information what else is going to be uncovered because I'm a little skeptical in terms of some of these pitchers And I'm going to be very careful as I word this because I don't want to just throw out allegations, accusations. But what I will say is they haven't earned our trust. And Trevor Bauer had previously tweeted and hinted at maybe there's something going on with their pitching staff to get the spin rate. So if nothing was to stop them from implementing this entire system, which was kind of like a, an FBI or a spy type of thing going on if they're using buzzers, if they were, in fact, using buzzers. What's to stop them from using ways to enhance their pitching staff? What Maybe there's some sort of substance that they're increasing by putting on the baseball to increase spin rate. How did Justin Verlander's velocity all of a sudden go back up when he was you remember him in Detroit where it seemed like there was a lot of talk of his career might be over here soon. And now he goes down to Houston and he's revitalized. Charlie Morton had a similar type of experience. How are these guys adding velocity, increasing their spin rate and doing better in a hitters park? That's something that I want to find out more information about.
1: That's a good point. Uh, I think, Garrett Cole will be watched very, very closely uh, yeah. in New York because if he continues to dominate, then you know the, he will, I guess, be one example of guys who who weren't benefiting from something. But you know, you you raise an interesting point, and that will certainly be something worth keeping an eye on uh, as the year goes on.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to make sure I'm saying this in a way that is okay because I don't want to just throw it out there and accuse something of something, but I'm just, I'm curious. Uh, am I do? Am I okay doing this? <laughs> I, I
1: mean, I, I think so. It's one of those things where, you know, if you look at it, you know, it's natural to assume that if, the, if there's cheating on one side, I think it's just sort of natural to assume that there might be cheating on the other side as well. I don't think that's, you know, you're not specifically naming, saying this person is doing this or, or doing that. But I think it's, I think a lot of people have questions about, you know, the organization as a whole, because it seems like it was an organization wide thing that was going on. It wasn't just limited to the hitters.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay. You have any other thoughts on this matter? Uh, Not on this matter, just
1: baseball thoughts in general.
0: Yeah, let's, let's go. Uh, We got some news yesterday. The Cubs are David Ross wants to use Chris Bryant as the leadoff hitter this season, which I translate to the Cubs front office wants to make Chris Bryant, their leadoff hitter this season.
1: (laughs) That could be, it will be, you know, I I don't know how analytically inclined you are. Um, If he can get on base a little bit more and it looks like they've already been showing photos of him. He's adjusted his stance a little bit because it sounded, he noticed that he'd been gotten beaten uh, he'd missed a lot of pitches up in the zone, and it seems like he's holding his bat a little bit more upright uh, in the effort to try and get to those high pitches a little bit more. But if he can get on base, I'm always a big proponent of giving your best hitters as many at-bats as possible. And if he can get on base, if Rizzo can get on base, uh, you never going to complain when there are guys on base with Javier Baim up. Uh, there were re- uh, lineups that people had been running out about way that ross might set up the lineup but uh but it's it's gonna be you need a guy who gets on base and if kb can improve his contact uh and cut down his swing and miss rate a little bit and get on base a little bit more it it could turn out to to be a good experiment
0: yeah i don't like it at all really i think that what they got to do here is you got to get as you got to get basers on for your best hitter And in fact, I would rather have someone who fails in the leadoff spot in front of Chris Bryant than nobody at all, because I want Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo to have the most opportunities, RBIs, and with the pitcher on the pitcher batting in front of him, I don't think they're going to be able to solve this problem that they've had with leaving runners on base.
1: That's it, it will be certainly interesting to see how it all shakes out. They really need to bring Dexter Fowler back.
0: Yeah, it would be nice which, if they just added a leadoff hitter to the roster. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would that would be ideal, but that's not the direction the front office has decided to go. And I feel like we could spend probably two or three hours talking about <laughs> what the front office has done over the last couple of years, <laughs> but that'll be a different, it'll be a different podcast for a different time.
0: <laughs> Definitely. But, uh,
1: but, uh, yeah, you know, the, might as well experiment with it and see how it works, I guess.
0: I think they should have added Scooter Jeanette in, as a second baseman. They ended up going the Kipness route, yep. and I don't really yep. know what Kipness has left at this point. If you look at him the last couple of years, he really fell off from what he had done in prime in his 20s yep. in Cleveland. But it is a cool story with him being a local kid and being a longtime Cubs fan for him to get this opportunity.
1: Yeah, yeah, it will be. It'll be good, and hopefully he provides something. And if he doesn't, hopefully Nico Horner gets plenty of seasoning in Iowa and is ready to go uh, this summer.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't. I think they needed to figure out second base. I think they need to figure out the leadoff spot and potentially center field. I don't think they did any of those things. Uh, but come back in a few weeks when Jordan and I are projecting all these teams for our MLB preview. We'll have plenty of thoughts to add there. Really surprised though that Scooter Jeanette hasn't signed with anyone yet.
1: Yeah, that is really surprising. I I figured that somebody would snatch him up and it honestly amazes me that they haven't yet.
0: Yeah, There, there are several guys still out there that have not been picked up. Uh, what else is going on in terms of spring training chatter and what's been on your mind with baseball coming up?
1: I do actually have a question because we, at one point before uh, life got in the way, we were going to talk about the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. And I'm intrigued to know uh, where you fall on the Barry Bonds line of things and whether he and Roger Clemens belong in the Hall of Fame um, because... And I, I certainly welcome disagreement but I feel like as though you can't really just say, well we're you know there's evidence of, of possible cheating or whatever but I don't think can deny that, He put up Hall of Fame numbers, and I don't really like the idea of sports writers, baseball writers specifically, trying to ascribe some sort of moral component to it. And I think you should look at his numbers. His numbers were really good. He would have been a Hall of Famer without the home run chase. You know, I mean, he was a 30-30, 40-40 guy in Pittsburgh, um, and I I think he belongs in a Hall of Fame, and I don't know if he's going to get there. And I think that that's as much about writers trying to moralize as anything else.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. In terms of me, I do not like the idea of having PED users in the Hall of Fame. I just think ethically, the problem with rewarding, and I this is where I think it's interesting in the sense of where do people draw the line? Because some people might draw the line and, okay, a guy like A-Rod he had been clearly shown this stuff is all wrong. And he, there was evidence that he had been using as a, as a teenager in high school. Like this is what's to stop this guy from doing his whole career. Whereas then you have a guy like bonds where he would have been in had he not done it. It's really a tricky subject to me personally. I just, I would say, The problem with having guys using steroids is it's a disservice to the guys who did not. And if we allow it, then we're putting players in danger because these are not good things for their body. If they weren't problematic for people's bodies, there wouldn't be any kind of issue with it. But here's the thing, Andrew, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy all over the place with the Hall of Fame voting in terms of guys who have been left out. I think in the sense of you could talk about also the way that the league is suspect how they're handling this cheating case with the Astros. It, there really is not one clear way to go about things, but I would, I would not have voted for either bonds or Clemens personally.
1: Well, let's mention the Astros. It will be interesting time when time comes, uh, when guys like Alex Bregman yeah. and George Springer and I don't know if Jose Altuve and I don't know if Correa will go, Carlos Correa will go on to have a, a Hall of Fame worthy career, but if if they have good production, you know, for the next ten or so years, and when they come up time, it will be interesting to see whether this paint is painted in the same light as those PED guys, and whether people refuse to to put guys like Bregman in because there was the scandal. Yeah. You know, it will be really it will be really interesting to see what happens.
0: In terms of the Hall of Fame, I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the guys who did not get in and really I I will say before we do that, I think that this whole guy whoever this man or woman was that didn't vote for Jeter, I think the whole story was overblown. He got more Hall of Fame votes than anybody in the history of the ballot and I mean, look, he's Derek Jeter. He had a great career, but we're not talking about Mike Trout. It wasn't he was the generational talent of his generation. I don't, to me, the whole unanimous Hall of Famer, that that's not important to me. We Mariano Rivera was the first ever unanimous guy we got into the Hall of Fame. To me, I would be much more interested in, in focusing on some of the guys who did not get into the Hall of Fame and their potential cases, but instead we got this big outrage over the one voter who didn't vote for Jeter.
1: Yeah, that was uh, needless to say, like you so eloquently said, it was it was a shame. And you know, I certainly don't begrudge anybody who would want to leave them off their first, you know, their first ballot. I don't know if it was. As long as it was simply thinking he was not worthy, as opposed to somebody going, you know what, he's going to get in. I just don't want him to be unanimous for whatever reason. If it was a legitimate, and if you look at it, you know, if you decide, you know what, he wasn't a great defensive shortstop, you know, there's that play where he went diving into the stance and everybody remembers the flip. But looking at things like UZR, like, he was a pretty average defensive shortstop. So if He look, had
0: one of the worst defensive runs saved out of any player from his era.
1: Yeah, so if you look at that and go, you know, I just, I just don't think because he wasn't an all-around really good player, I don't think he deserves to be in, that's totally fine. But if it was simply a, you know what, Rivera should be the only one who was unanimous, I'm not going to vote for him for this reason, that's dumb. Yeah. But I, I'm interested to know kind of guys who, who didn't get in. I mean I, we talked about bonds a little bit and, and Clemens, but who are guys that you know you think are close and, and maybe a year or two down the line should get in?
0: Okay, so it looks like Kurt Schilling's going to get in. I think he deserves it. He was in terms of my lifetime of watching sports, he was as good of a postseason pitcher as anybody. Yep. And he had the regular season accolades and statistics to back it up because there are some guys like Josh Beckett or Andy Pettit who are great postseason pitchers, maybe not quite the same type of guy in the regular season. So he's the first one that comes to mind for me.
1: Okay, I think that's fair. I mean, I I get the sense that there's more than a little bit of backlash for how his post. Playing career has gone, and sure. uh, some some things he said and things he tweeted and, and things of that nature. But I think what a lot of people forget is that it's not a Hall of Fame about were you a really good person. It's yeah. what did you do on the diamond, and you know you can if you want to have a little note about if you weren't a big fan of things that he said, you can certainly you know have something like that near his
0: write plaque a column supplement. about it. I, here's why I voted for him, but I don't endorse whatever he his, his tweets were. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's 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 certainly within reason. But I mean the the 2001 World Series, you know, then the 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 bloody sock game later on. Like he was he was as good a pitcher as there was during the late 90s, early mid 2000s, and so I don't I don't think there's any reason he doesn't deserve to be in.
0: Absolutely. Another guy who I don't think he's going to get there. He got 31% this year. It was his fifth year on the ballot. So he's moving in the right direction. We'll see what ends up happening on the second half of the decade here. I like Billy Wagner a lot.
1: Yeah, I you know, he was during that same era. He was as close to a lockdown closer as you were going to get. And, you know, it's just so weird watching guys... You know, try to sort of value saves now because you know I mean Lee Smith uh, and, and his saves, and then you had other guys. Rivera was was as good a reliever as there's ever been, and I think I think Wagner should be on that list. He you you knew when he came in in the ninth inning, it was game over. Yeah, whether it was a one run game, whether it was a three run game, it didn't matter. And you know he was. You know, I remember watching the Cubs play those play the Astros all those times when the Astros were in the, the National League Central. Right. And you knew if the Astros got to Wag with lead, it was game over. Yeah. And I would like to see him in the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, and I think we're we've opened that door up with closers. In in fact, when Trevor Hoffman got in, I was hearing for players such as Sean Casey talking about on MLB Network, they said Trevor Hoffman deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but Billy Wagner deserves it even more in terms of Trevor Hoffman had a great career, but and while I feared him, there was another level of fear that I had against Billy Wagner that I didn't have against anyone else in the National League. And then Rivera was obviously the American League dog.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look, 422 saves, that's the sixth most in in major league history and a career whip of under 1 um 100 and almost 1200 strikeouts in 903 innings clear ERA of 2.31 and a WAR of 27.7 I mean he was he was really good throughout his career and a I, I a seven-time all-star and I think I think he should be he should be in there
0: Absolutely, uh, they're one that comes to mind for me, and there's another guy who I'm a little bit on the fence of. I'm glad is we're going to entertain more of a conversation about him. The one that I who just cannot seem to move up, and I think he might be penalized for similar reasons that Schilling has been penalized in the past is Jeff Kent. There's no second baseman with more home runs than Jeff Kent. He was as good of an offensive second baseman as there has been in this league. He was, I don't think, was as bad defensively as it's been talked about. He never really hurt them in the playoffs with the Giants. He never made a big error in a spot in October that really cost his team. And in terms of what he was offensively, he won an MVP. He was a great hitter. And I guess the the only other thing I would say is the fact that now that the door has been opened for designated hitters to get into the hall of fame, how much are we going to hold a national league player? How much are we going to hold his defense against him when he wasn't given the opportunity to DH? That's
1: a good question. Um, you know, it will be, I think the, the similar line to what we talked about Jeter, although as, as you said, his defense wasn't as bad as it was given to, but, uh, you know, you, people will have to decide, and I feel like every writer has perhaps a, a different sort of opinion about it. But, you know, is is average defensively good? And I, I think that's a fair – stop me if you think I'm, I'm wrong with <laughs> saying he's an average average defensive second baseman. Yeah. But, you know, if if the rest of his verses, you said, more home runs than any other second baseman, if the numbers merit that and you're okay with it being an average – defensive second baseman i think that merits inclusion too because you know if if you want to you know you talked about designated hitters and if you can get in without playing defense then you have to weigh the the whole sum of the career and not just be like well he wasn't good defensively exactly put him in
0: yeah so i agree i think that defense can pad a guy and help him get in like i think defense helped larry walker Because there are a lot of questions about what was his production outside of Coors Field. But he was a great defensive player, and I think that is something that should be recognized. Congratulations to Larry Walker.
1: Yes, absolutely. It was good to to see him get in there.
0: The last guy that comes to mind for me that I'm intrigued to entertain the idea of is is a guy like that, that we're talking about a combination of good defense and good offense, Scott Rowland.
1: Yeah, he's, he's certainly an interesting test case. Um, a guy who I don't think, you know, was ever really... Like, there was a time where he was as good a third baseman in the league as, as anybody there was. and But at the same time, it's so weird because I don't feel like he ever had any standout numbers. There was never... Like, he was just a really solid third baseman for all those yeah. years in St. Louis, in Philadelphia... And there's not really, I don't think, and I not uh, have not spent a ton of time poring over the numbers, but um, I don't think there's anything that, that stands out as being just something that strikes me as being absolutely extra memorable, which I think is a testament to him because he was just so solid year after year after year after year. Um you know, a guy who would hit 30 home runs pretty much every year. And I think that, you know, he'll be a good test case too, because he was, you know, the memory goes and and serves. He was a really good player for a really long time. And does that merit being in the hall of fame? I certainly think it at least merits stronger discussion than what it seems like he's gotten so far.
0: Well, and he moved up to 35% this year and it was only his third year and it was a big jump. So I'm glad, what I'm saying is, I'm not convinced either way, but I'm glad we're having a deeper conversation about him. And I think, regardless of how people feel about Bonds and Clemens, I'm kind of glad that, and again, regardless of how this shakes out, it doesn't look like they're going to get in. So maybe I'm just, maybe I'm more glad about it because I would not have voted for them. But I'm kind of glad that, We're starting to be able to, and also we put so many guys into the hall the last two, three years that we're able to do a little more of a deep dive on some of these guys who had excellent careers, did not use PEDs, and we haven't given a whole lot of attention to because we've been so hung up on other things when we look at the ballot. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. In fact, I thought Fred McGriff should have gotten in. He fell off the ballot last year. I thought Roy Oswalt and Lance Berkman were guys who should have gotten just a little more of a conversation. So that's where I'm interested to see where we go from here. It really was not a very strong uh, class for the guys who were on the ballot for the first time.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, normally you'd figure as though, I mean, I can't remember. It seems like the average class generally is, is three or four or maybe even years where you'll get five guys, and to uh, you know only get two. And this was it. It was Larry Walker's last chance, correct? Is that remembering that correctly?
0: It was his last chance. That is correct. Yes.
1: Yeah, so you know to have a, a rookie class only get one guy. You know I know it's maybe that's been the trend over the past couple of years, but it seems far more. Uh, not in line with kind of what we've become acc- accustomed to as we were growing up. And uh, so, you know, the the candidates will, you know, the classes over the next few years and will be interesting. And we've got these guys that we've talked about um, and to kind of see how the, the Hall of Fame shapes out over the next couple of years
0: absolutely so i'm glad we were able to talk hall of fame even though it was a month late
1: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely i was i was looking forward to it and i'm glad we were able to chat about a little bit for
0: sure all right is what else anything else in baseball that we should be making note of right now
1: you know um i'm just glad that it's back man (laughs) it was it was a long winter uh made longer by this whole astro scandal and everything um I'm I'm just glad to have it back. It when spring training starts showing up, it it really starts to feel like, you know, spring is is finally here. And uh, I don't know what it's like for you today. I know you've probably got looked like you were getting snow there last week, but uh, we got snow this morning. Oh, uh, when I got out of bed, the wind chill was four below. Uh, so needless to say, I am ready for it to feel like spring. And uh, with with spring training games happening, it it just lets you know that spring is one step closer. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I will look forward to yours and and Jordan's previews, but I think that there could be a lot of teams who could make a run at some playoff spots this year.
0: Absolutely. Hey, do you want to talk about, before we go, uh, these potential changes in terms of playoff format? And uh, I don't know if there's anything else. Oh, DH, I guess, going to the National League.
1: Yeah, I think uh, briefly, and again, this is probably something we could spend a lot of time talking about. Yeah. Um, I think I like the idea of the universal DH. I didn't initially. Um, I was very much against it. And a friend of mine uh, who's a season ticket holder to the Cubs basically, I mean, he didn't explain to me, but he, he pointed out that, you know, it puts national league teams at a decided disadvantage because you have to try yeah. and find. Positions for some of these players, the Cubs would be well suited if they could make Kyle Schwarber a DH all the time and they didn't have to worry about all while his defense has gotten better. They didn't have to worry about sending him out in left field or if they wanted Ian half bat in the lineup, but didn't want him to, you know, him to try and play in center field or whatever. Um, and I think National League clubs are really just behind the eight ball when it comes to guys that they can sign and uh, I think it will be better. I also don't like seeing pitchers get injured. Um, you know, it's not something they're asked to do very often uh, to, to, you know, to try and run in the last one. Everyone Wainwright, Adam Wainwright, his Achilles a couple years ago trying to beat out a ground ball. And, you know, the DH exists at every level of organized baseball from high school, college, the minors, except in the National League. And it's just strange that the two leagues play under different sets of rules. And that would be that would be one positive change that, that baseball could make.
0: Yeah, I'm still resistant to it. I know you're making a lot of sense. And I do think that it would be great if we could have it all... Everything could be the same in both leagues. But I think the thing is, I'm so... I know that it's going to eventually come, so I want to keep the National League, the National League, as long as I can until that happens. And I've been watching the Ken Burns baseball documentary series and just studying some of the history of baseball with the National League being the original league. I I don't want to change it. I love it. I love the fact that everybody plays, everybody hits, everybody fields. So... As much as I don't like it, I know it's coming and I'm going to have to learn to be okay with it when that day comes.
1: Okay. If it makes you feel better, I'm going to have to learn to be okay with the three pitcher rule or three batter (laughs) rule that uh, they're going to trot out this year, which is so dumb Yeah, for a variety of reasons. I just don't understand why this seems to be a good idea. People are like, oh, well, if they make pitching changes, the games will go by faster and people will be more interested in the game. And that's not how you appeal to the next generation of fans to try and make them want to enjoy the game. You have to market your stars. You know, the NBA has done a really, really good job of marketing their stars. And I don't think... You know, other than diehard baseball fans, I think if you put Mike Trout in a lineup with a bunch of other players, I don't know how many average baseball fans could identify Mike Trout. And maybe that's not giving your average fan enough credit, but like that's the problem is that I don't feel like baseball markets its stars, and there are plenty of really good players well enough. And so, to just turn around and be like, "Well, hey, you know, if you got to pitch to three hitters, then that'll that'll solve our our time problem." It's, it's not going to do anything other than, uh, I don't know, make managers adjust their lineups more often, and so that you get the the not stacking up right-handed hitters or left-handed hitters. And other than that, I see zero benefit to requiring a guy to pitch to three hitters.
0: Yeah, and I, I think in fact. The thing, if they're looking at this problem of the stoppages is what's the problem. Well, that the stoppages aren't the problem. It's the commercial breaks. If they're really looking at this, I think if you keep all those pitching changes and you don't go to a commercial every single time that a guy starts warming up, I I don't I think that helps you out. So the league is it's more the league being greedy than, you know, it. it it's just it's not what they think it is.
1: Yeah, when you look at the World Series, and people wonder why the ratings for the World Series aren't great. And the game started 8 o'clock or later in the Eastern Time Zone. And yeah. given the length of commercial breaks, as you said, you know those games aren't ending until after midnight. And you know, I was lucky when I was a kid. My parents didn't really ha- – I, I didn't have a set bedtime. I could kind of go to bed whenever. But I know a lot of kids today – you know, a group who's going to become your next generation of hardcore baseball fans. They're not staying up until midnight to watch baseball games. They're, you know, getting up in the next morning. So, and, and trying to catch the highlights or whatever. So there should be more daytime games. There should be more True daytime that. World Series games. Like yes. they should be on at reasonable times. But yeah. uh, lastly, I do want to talk about how I think the new playoff alignment, if it ends up being proposed, uh, I do like the possible idea of being able to pick your opponent, but mm, yeah. I think that if you go to seven teams and you have nearly half of each league, and as you said, fourteen of the thirty making it, I think that's too much. I like the idea of the wild card series being best of three games rather than best of one, um, because I, I I think that you know everybody plays a series, right? It's you never just have one offs, so you know a series is more likely to help you determine who the better team is, whereas, you know, one game you have one really good pitcher and you know you're going to be in the wildcard game 10 days before the season is over. You can line up your pitching so that you have the one guy you want to throw rested and ready to go. Um, And maybe the other team is is scrapping and clawing and fighting to get in on the last day. And then their rotation is all out of order. And so I I think if they do the best of three wildcard, I think that would be the way to go. Uh, I would really like that. I honestly think um, I have a lot of problems with the NFL, but I think the NFL has the perfect scheduling model. I I think baseball needs to expand. First, they need to solve the Tampa Bay problem. They move them to Montreal or Las Vegas or Charlotte or wherever you're going to move them. And and what, this year they're splitting, and they're going to play some games in Montreal and and maybe some in in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and whatever else you're going to do. But solve that problem. Expand to 32. Yes. Four divisions of four teams each. You yep. can cut You can cut back on the schedule to 150, 154, 156, whatever it is, and, and make it so that scal- schedules are more balanced. And then, you know, you take the four division champs, and you get the two wild cards, and you do just like the NFL does. And the two division team, two division winners that have the worst record, they have to play in the two wild card games. And you should you know, there should be a decided advantage for being one of the best two teams in your league. And that gets you a buy into the division series. And I I feel like that's coming. It might take a few years, but I think 32 teams, six teams in each league make the playoffs. So it's still relatively exclusive, but you get more playoff teams. I think that's, that's ultimately the way they're going to end up going. It just is going to take a while to get there.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think you got to get to 32 first. And I I co-sign everything you're saying. Let's add one more thing. Let's cut down on interleague play. We don't have to have the National League and the American League playing each other all the time if there's an equal amount of teams inside of the leagues. So if there's 16 in each league, then you can have 8 teams playing 8 teams from the same league all the time. I'm a showcase series for a month or whatever, like they used to do when I was a kid where you'd have those interleague rivalries. And I don't know, maybe maybe they want to change up some of the leagues when they do this expansion, but I always thought interleague was a lot more exciting and special when it was only going for a few weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, no there was that there was decidedly that time of the year between the middle of June and the 4th of July yeah. or right around there where you knew, okay, these are when the interleague series are going to happen. They're six series back to back to back to back and knew that was going to happen. I also think if we end up going to where a universal DH, that that lessens the need for interleague play. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can still do, you know, because the baseball will all be the same. So you can still do where you rotate and, you know, you have your – series against your your other league rival, you know, the the Cubs could play the White Sox, the Royals, the Cardinals, things like that. But you could, you know, I I think even sort of follow the same kind of NFL scheduling model where you play a series against the team that finished in the same spot in your division in each of the other leagues. So So if you finish second, you play the four American League teams who finish second. And, you know, if it were the Cubs and they finish second and the White Sox finish second in their division, well, then you just pick up an extra series against the White Sox or whatever. Uh, you know, the the math of how many games and things of that nature still to be worked out. But I, I, I think cut down on interleague, universal DH, 32 teams, six in the playoffs from each league. We'll get there eventually, but <laughs> it might still take a little while.
0: With interleague play, I'd just say less is more. When I was 10 years old, I saw the Red Sox play at Wrigley Field. It was the first time that they had played each other, at least at Wrigley, in 80 or 90 years. And it was so cool. There was so much hype going into it. It was right after the Red Sox just won the World Series. And I think that if you had that same kind of hype for games, that would generate more excitement for regular season games, which could also be something that could show up in terms of the TV ratings.
1: Yeah, I also think, and just, I know you got to go, but to, yeah. to, quickly pick, to quickly piggyback off of that, I think it would also make the World Series feel more special. Yeah, Because right now, there's a chance that it will be a rematch of a series that was played in August. Yeah. Or something along those lines, where if you go back and you play fewer in early games, then the World Series, as teams who haven't played against each other, then it really means something.
0: Absolutely. Well, Andrew... Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you? What are you working on right now that people should be checking out?
1: Uh, you can find me. I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is ASTEM, that's S-T-E-M-0-0. Uh, you can read my work. Uh, should have some stuff coming up here on Omaha.com, uh, writing up about the uh, walk-ons for the University of Nebraska football team. We'd like to feature a couple of those. Um, and uh, getting set, we'll have more coverage About college baseball, Uh, the College World Series is a big deal here. And uh, first and second round sites are being played just on the street uh, from my office at the CHI Health Center in Omaha. So you have uh, lots of college basketball coverage coming up as well. And, uh, you know, you said at the very beginning, this is the best time of year to be a sports fan, and I'm very much looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it's the calm before the storm right now. We're about to head into, I'm looking at just the schedule we get into mid-March and then we get the tournament. We have Selection Sunday. We get the tournament that feeds into opening day. That feeds into the Masters. Then we have NBA and NHL playoffs. And I'm not a huge NFL draft guy, but that's another big one for a lot of people. So it's just this schedule from like mid-March to early June to mid-June. It's just it's three months of craziness. And I love it. And it's great for podcasting purposes, because people want to have an audio complimentary piece to what they're watching on TV.
1: Uh, I have no doubt it will keep you busy uh, (laughs) up until Thursday.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, hey, thank you so much for joining me. I'll be talking with you soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to chatting anytime.
0: What a great job that was by Andrew Stem. So much fun having him here on the podcast today or last week, however you want to look at it. It was a very fun conversation. I cannot believe we're just a month away from Major League Baseball season starting. If you're wanting more Major League Baseball content, subscribe to this podcast. Here's why. Jordan Morandini and I are about to start our MLB Season Preview Series, which is going to be a lot of work on our end, but we will do a podcast series where we preview each division. Haven't decided how many episodes it's going to be. It could be anywhere between three and six. It's going to be a lot, but it's going to give you plenty of Major League content, plenty of food for thought, lots of stuff for you to think about and to consider as we prepare for the MLB season In addition to that, we're almost in March. As I mentioned, I'm going to be podcasting all the way through March Madness every single round. It's going to be (laughs) a very busy March, but I am so excited as we are right about to enter into the perfect storm of sports podcasting, the way I like to look at it, because we have my two favorite sports overlapping, the beginning of Major League Baseball and March Madness, Such a great time of year. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Jack Vita Show. Tweet me your thoughts on the podcast. Tell me what you think about what Andrew and I had to say. Tag us. Let us know your thoughts. Were we too hard on the Astros? Did the MLB need to be harder on the Astros? Or is their punishment sufficient? Let us know. Tweet it at me. And again, if you can subscribe to The Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is you get your podcasts, and leave a five-star review on iTunes, just write a few kind words that would make a huge difference for me and this podcast, especially as we enter into our busy season, and I want people to be able to check out this podcast and laugh along and enjoy it as we go into March. Thank you again to everyone for listening. I will be certainly back with some more college basketball thoughts coming up later this week, most likely. Be on the lookout for that. Until next time, I'm Jack Vita. bringing in the dancing lobses.